Welcome to the first episode of An Idiot's Guide to History with, yes, applause, applause, Imaginary Studio audience. Um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> we have your, your hosts here, myself, Tarun Narsiman, and me, John, last name unknown. <laughs> I don't want our fans, I don't want our fans finding me. <laughs> a rabbit fan. <laughs> John may or may not be a figment of my imagination, myself doing a different voice. It. TBD. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess we'll we'll find out. We'll, we'll find out what we want. Yeah, um, it's, it's a puzzle for our viewers to figure out. Yeah, this is this podcast is both history and a mystery. Um, <laughs> just want to throw that rhyme in there. It's but, a history mystery. Yeah. All right, we've got a minute. We haven't even talked about history yet. Um, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Why are we? Yeah. So basically, we're just two two regular old Joe schmoes. Who, like, uh, emphasis on the schmo. Yeah, more schmo than Joe. More it's schmo a, than Joe. It's an A20 ratio. Of, uh, we're just two dudes who like history a lot. Uh, neither of us have a license to history. Uh, and I don't think any, I don't, <laughs> I don't think anyone would give us a license. Yeah. Because, like, we, I think, like, we're, 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 like, the av- we're the average, I think we would call ourselves, like, the average man historian, which is, like, we pick, we pick and choose, like, cool bits from history and are, like, yeah. dope. There's stuff about history that excites us and that we didn't really learn about when, you know, we were taking history classes, for example, in school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's perception out there that most people uh, view history as being boring and just an endless string of irrelevant facts. But history actually is pretty exciting. And it's, it's just really the most exciting stuff that's ever happened put into one place for you to learn about. So that's what we're trying to convey with this podcast. Are we like a... Are we like... Like a campaign ad for like history teachers. <laughs> it's like we're actually just like we're actually just two history teachers. Like we're being paid for this by the the cabal of by big history, big capital H, big history. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, and like I think the idea was that we, I think okay, I think the idea behind this is that every episode we're gonna take on two different things. I think for starters, we're doing like civilizations and. Just really diving in and like, I think I think just really diving in and just getting into like, so just getting into some of the details of the of the civilization, um, and just realizing that like, there's cool shit in history outside of bombs exploding. Yeah, like I think that was like the biggest thing that I learned. So our first episode we're doing Sparta versus Athens, and I got Sparta, which we flipped we flipped the coin. It was fair. Um, ostensibly. Um, <laughs> as far as we know. I mean, well, <laughs> I asked you to choose a one. I was thinking, because, all right, this is a side tag, but I asked you to choose a one, number one or two over the phone. <laughs> and I, you just said two. And I was like, that's Athens. <laughs> I was like, I was like, is this a fair system? Who knows? <laughs> Sounds fair to me. Sounds fair. Uh, but yeah, I think we do a spar with that. I think, honestly, I, like, this is like one of the first times because when I le- listen to history, I mostly listen to stuff about wars a lot. Because wars, they're like, they're kind of the big hero moments. Right. But I actually had a lot of fun, like, it was a lot of fun getting into civilizations and learning more about, like, society and politics and, like, like sort of like the whole, like, the whole background for the civilization. And then you can think, like, oh, okay, like, this makes sense why all these wars are happening now. Like, they aren't just these, like, Every couple of years, people are like, hey, <laughs> we haven't had one of those war things in a while. Let's, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I just enjoy, I think, um, 
reading about history because it's just it both explains why things are the way they are, but also history is full of crazy shit from it is A full to of Z. Crazy shit, man. Um, I think even as you delve into a surface level into things like Athens or Sparta, you're like, really? They did that? They did things that way? Like, are yeah. you are you fucking kidding me? And yeah. history is just full of that, no matter what time period or civilization or whatever you're reading about. And that's I had a fun time doing this episode because I think uh, I I found a lot of that kind of material. Yeah, I don't. I can't speak for Athens because that's here. We basically split it up. We all did research on one of them. Yeah. And but like I can't speak for Athens, but like Sparta was. I mean, I think everyone kind of knew that Sparta was like this nutty civilization. Yeah. But Sparta was nutty, man. Like, <laughs> Sparta it's, was like, it's a, it was a nutty place. Right. There's a 300 level of, like, nutty that everyone knows about, but then, and it goes beyond that. Like, 300 is like, I feel like 300 is like, like, you think that 300 is this, like, overblown, like, nonsense piece, but, like, 300 is, like, tame relative to, like, some of the just complete bullshit nonsense that Sparta got <laughs> up to. Yeah. And for reference, we chose this topic not because we knew Athens and Sparta were batshit crazy, but because we sort of were like, hey, what's what are some major historical rivals out there? Let's go with Athens and Sparta. It's like the New York Yankees and the, the Red Sox kind of, of, kind of, of history, right? It's the great it it's the great defining historical rivalry. And you know, like I said, when we just delve into this a little bit, we start finding all this crazy shit behind the scenes. They're, they're so, crazy, man. Yeah. Um, should we should we get into it? We should get into it. We're yeah, well, let's get into it. Okay, uh, so we kind of have these like loose buckets that we've organized the the podcast around, and we're each going to bounce back and forth and talk a little bit about the bucket for each of our cities. So wait, what, do, what do we start with? I, I, my vote, my vote is that we start. I think we, I think we should start with, should we start with like political political sure. structure? I feel like all right. My thought is to go political structure, and then we kind of just move towards the sexier stuff. Yeah, like we get by the end, we're talking about like. Just men bashing each other with <laughs> fucking spears and shields. <laughs> and not a bang. Uh, All right, yeah. This is an intellectual podcast, people. You heard it here first. What? Yeah, oh yeah, right. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. so should we get into it with, uh, with some Athens political Yeah, political tell, me, tell me about the Athens politics, man. I'm okay, so, um, so basically Athens is known uh, for being sort of the world's first democracy, right? That's right. So Athens basically uh, was ruled by a series of oligarchs for a long time until in the early, early, or sorry, late 500s, so 507 BC, this guy named Cleisthenes had a radical move. He said, hey, what if we take power from the hands of these oligarchs and give it to the people? Mm-hmm. And it actually survived in this, some sort of super form similar to that uh, put in place by Cleisthenes for about two centuries until it ended by a little guy called uh, Alexander the Great. And yeah. his dad, Philip, uh, Philip of Macedon. So. Yeah, not, not, no spoilers. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah, yeah, it's cool. I, I, I remember reading, I'm going to throw, I, I, you, you did more history than me, than me, but I remember reading, it was, it was a cool, I mean, Athens is, it's, it's essentially the world's first true democracy. Yeah. Um, I think it, it's interesting from, um, like how it became a democracy is sort of like, I mean, it, it, it was it wasn't you say like an oligarchy. It was like it was ruled by the rich, and then I think I think the the Clythenes guy was just like he saw the writing on the wall, and was like he's like people are unhappy, yeah, and like I can either be the leader of the new democracy or die with the oligarchs. And he like <laughs> he saw so he sort of yeah like yeah from what I know he like sort of shepherded in, which is like I was like 
you know, it's not like George Washington levels of cool. Right. Or like he, it was, he wasn't like a, a like a like an idealist. He wasn't no. like some sort of political genius no. idealist, sort of like as we picture the founding fathers to be. Right. Uh, it was definitely a move of political pragmatism more than yeah. idealism. Which is, I respect. I, I can respect that. Like, yeah, he got his name in the history books. Yeah, and you know, he gave us uh, the, the very concept of democracy, right? Which is which is huge. He did. What is? Do you know? Did, did you give? Did you get into much research about how the Athenian democracy works? Because I know it's like, yeah, what democracy was back then is yeah, so very different. So Athens actually had something called direct democracy. Okay, so basically back then. Everyone um, was in something called, oh, sorry, not by everyone, I mean all the, all the citizens. And all the citizens of Athens, what we actually mean are males over a certain age. So they were all in an assembly called the Ecclesia. This assembly basically was made up of all the, like I said, all the male citizens of a certain age. And these guys made all the major decisions of the state. Okay. And the decisions were actually made by everyone just standing in one place and then holding up their hands. And they actually say in one article I read, they actually saw, say, after dark, it was hard to make decisions because you couldn't see how many hands were being held up. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe not the greatest system, but... <laughs> this, is like, this, is like, this is like fourth grade. This is like fourth grade, like... It's like, you Literally, do, like yeah. fourth grade, where like the teacher's like, everyone raise their hand. Right, like, like do, we want a, do we want a goldfish or do we want a hamster for the yeah. class? Everyone raised their hands, and that was how Athens made decisions. Yeah. And also, it's worth noting... Um, in total, there are between 30,000 and 60,000 men in the Ecclesia at any one time, of which a fraction would have actually come to the assemblies. But still, if you have a couple thousand people in the assemblies raising their hands, it probably took some time for just to count the, the do you votes. Think, do, you think they, like, do, you, do you think they actually counted or just like, they just kind of looked out and the crowd was like, it, just, it seems like a no, maybe. So it seems unclear whether they sort of like eyeballed it or whether they actually yeah. did like accounting. My bet would be like, some decisions, it was just like a landslide. You were just like, all right, good. And some decisions yeah. were probably more down to the wire, and they probably did yeah. counting. Yeah. You had like one, like, you had like one little, like, one little, like, scribe running around, like, one, two, three, four, <laughs> wait, wait, nobody move! <laughs> nobody move! <laughs> I lost my camera! Damn it. <laughs> all right, start over! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's just funny to picture that as like the, the birth of modern, you know, yeah. modern democracy, right? Um, I think it's also worth noting, like I alluded to this earlier, but like not everyone was in the Ecclesia, right? right. So women, children, slaves, of which Athens had a lot of slaves, were not in the Ecclesia. They had no was, right to vote. Yeah, slavery, big thing in ancient Greece. Slavery was huge. It was one, one of like the things that drove ancient Greece. It was. Yeah. Um, do you, alright, random quick, I mean, random, random philosophical question. Do you, how do you feel about how do you feel about this? How do you feel about, like... So this is, like, the purest form of democracy. Yeah. Thoughts on this democracy versus, like, Republican democracy, which is what we yeah. have today. Yeah. So, right, so John's uh, basically bringing up the point that, like, nowadays we have sort of a republic, right, where people vote for representatives, and the representatives make the decisions, as opposed to everything being decided by the people directly, yeah. right? So, actually, there were a lot of critics of democracy at the time. Like, Thucydides was a Greek historian who was a major critic of democracy. Plato, one of the greatest philosophers of all time, was a major critic of democracy. Sparta hated it. Sparta hated it. Um, weird, per, we'll you know, get into it later, but Sparta kind of had a democracy. It had a weird system, but... But yeah, even, even among, like, Athenians themselves, democracy wasn't actually necessarily super popular. Um, and people had a lot of objections to democracy. For example, people would say that, oh, the people 
can sometimes get carried away and swayed by like good orators or demagogues. I think the word mm-hmm. demagogue actually comes from the Greek of that time. Um, and so, you know, people can get riled up and their emotions can get swayed easily by these people, mm-hmm. right? And I think Plato, who, you know, he sort of, he sort of seems like he had a bit of an aristocratic outlook kind of things. He was a very well-educated man. He probably looked down a lot of, like, his fellow citizens. Yeah. He said people weren't educated enough and they just didn't have, like, enough facts to be, like, you know, to be discerning enough to make these votes. Like, I think there was one instance in particular where there was some detail of a smart government that this, like, vote hinged on. And... The people literally just had like the wrong information about that. Yeah. So they ended up making what Plato thought was like the wrong decision in that in that instance. Yeah, Plato's a bit of a dick, from what I know. But, yeah, uh, but he was not a fan of democracy. He actually thought there should be a, some kind of like enlightened kingship, a philosopher king. Yeah, so he the guy who was like kicked to death and like just like lied down in the street and died or something. <laughs> Socrates. Um, Socrates. Socrates. Socrates drank hemlock. We'll get to him later. Wait a minute. Yeah, it's 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 inter- it's interesting. Like. It's interesting. It's an interesting question that, like, I mean, I think, I think at the level, at the size of the population we have today, direct democracy is not really like, yeah. It's like, but it's, I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought of like, not to comment on any current world leaders, um, but like, <laughs> what, like, what what direct democracy would we would it lead to better decisions than perhaps we feel that decisions being made in Congress or by the yeah. president are. Um, I, think, I think it comes down to whether, like, people have the time and the capacity to, like, learn enough about issues to make, like, yeah. you know, discerning decisions. And I think even I struggle with that a lot of the times, you know, with, like, local issues in San Francisco. Oh, for sure. It's tough to, like, go out there and read up about, like, oh, this DA has this policy to defect the homeless in this way. Yeah. And, like, you know, the there's so much stuff to read about there. Yeah. It's, in some ways, I kind of see the appeal of not having direct, dem- direct democracy like Athens, honestly. Yeah, but we digress. Yes. Um, Cool. So you got you got the mac- direct democracy. Yeah. Um, there's also one other interesting thing about Athenian government. So it actually, there's actually three branches. There was the assembly, um, and there was something called the bula, which is a council of five hundred that is more of the hand, sort of hands-on governance. Okay. And these guys were actually chosen at random from the citizenry, which is like really interesting. So instead of like being voted in or being you know these people who weren't they weren't seeking to have power, they were just chosen strictly at random, and they did sort of like a lot of like the. Um, allocation of revenue, a lot of like the building of like the fleet, for example, um, those kind of like nitty gritty like administrative kind of stuff was handled by those guys. And I kind of like the idea of like being chosen at random, yeah. Because like, it's not the people who want to have power who are chosen; it's just random yeah. people, right? Like, you know, sometimes I kind of like distrust people who are like, "Yeah, give me all your power and all yeah. your money, and I'll do That's the best cool. thing." It's like, eh, what's your agenda, man? But choosing random people, I kind of like that. I, it's got it's got it's, it's got its appeals, and it's also got its it's terrors of like <laughs> someone like me or you being ending up in charge, right? <laughs> Which is like right, like a, bo- a government run by like amateur podcasters is probably yeah. not the <laughs> probably, best. <laughs> probably not going to survive the ages. Or would it? Yeah. No, it would okay. Do. What's the What's the last? Uh, so the third branch was basically just the law courts. Um, okay. Which were just the, the basically like sets of juries who um, weighed in on legal matters. And Athens actually has this interesting system where they didn't have police. And so you had, to, if you wanted to try someone else for like a crime, you had to bring it before the law courts and make the case yourself. And this is actually how Socrates ends up um, being convicted and being sentenced to death. Yeah. Is by a jury of people, and he can basically be tried for like a lot of things. Like they, there were, not, there were not much restrictions in the way of like you know being being tried for things. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was it was a definitely interesting system. So it's, I mean, it's kind of like. 
It's a little similar to what we had. Like, it is. Being, you get tried by a jury of your peers. Yeah. Yes. But it's like three branches. Like the three branches of government. And like, they sort of have the, like... This kind of like the legislative and the executive like, and the judicial. The people... Like, it seems like... It seems like the Ecclesia is sort of like the legislative. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the Bula, which is a great name. Um, Fantastic. They're like sort of like the executive branch. Then you yeah. got the... But it's, I mean, cool. It's cool. Like, in some senses, their, their form of democracy has survived, what, 20, 2,500 years? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty durable, yeah. It should yeah. happen. One, one thing I want to I make point, which I forgot to bring up earlier, which I want to make before we move on, is that the, the concept of ostracism actually comes from ancient Greece. It's something called the ostracon, which is basically ostracon. like a popularity contest with the worst possible consequences. So basically, everyone in the ecclesia, the assembly, would get together, and they would, and so let's say, like, I want to get John exiled from Athens. I can bring a motion before the assembly to get John yeah. exiled from Athens. And it literally comes down to just a majority vote, okay? Yeah. And if majority says, yeah, let's exile John from Athens, then boom, John gets exiled from Athens just like that. So it's literally just a popularity contest of, <laughs> like, how many people in the, in the assembly want to keep John around. I would not have lasted in Nigeria. <laughs> I, I think both of us would have gotten exiled pretty quickly. Like, pretty quickly. I don't think podcasters would have been very popular in Nigeria. No. Athens. Um, fun, actually, this, there's a cool, there's a cool, um, I did a little, re- I, did a, I did a little more recent continue on the, the Peloponnesian War, but is a cool, is a cool fact about the ostracization thing. Um, so Peloponnesian War was the big, is the big Sparta Athens conflict, and one thing that this government ended up with, and this could be an argument against having a gov- a pure democracy. Sure, is that they had they had this big thing where, gosh, I'm gonna I forget I'm terrible with names, so I forget all the battles, but there was this there was this naval battle. Where Athens actually won the naval battle. Athens had a great navy, um, mm-hmm. but Athens they won the naval battle. But due to a storm, like due to a storm, some sailors got trapped out at sea and died. Okay. And then basically they had this trial, and like trials by trials were done by the people. Right. Um, they had this trial, and the people basically convicted the six top naval generals in Athens, and just had them. They had him killed, uh, and subsequently, when Athens went back to war with Sparta, they were missing their six top <laughs> generals and just got the shit kicked out. Funny how that works. It was, it's like it's it's one of those. It's like one of the things. But like I think you were saying, like, well, you don't have all the facts of like, you know, being a general is a hard like, it's a hard decision about like, should I send more men out to recover these men in a storm? Um, yeah, but basically they ended up they. Instead of looking at long term goals for the city, they look at short term anger for like yeah short term like anger. They probably wanted some scapegoats for the they wanted some scapegoats sailors, and they lost their six most experienced naval generals, which meant that just like their navy was poorly equipped to like yeah they, it was poorly equipped to fight the the Spartan navy. Yeah, I think that trial and the trial of Socrates are the two examples I read of over and over again as being the greatest arguments against Athenian democracy. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, you know, interesting system, it's got its flaws. Yeah. yeah, with some tweaks, you know, it's pretty much what we have now, it's so. what we have now. Can't complain too much. Yeah. Okay, should we move on to Sparta's political system? Sparta political system. Alright, Sparta political system? Really? Sparta? I have, I have like a, 
So this this show this will show why we're so amateur. But yeah, I had a hard time. Sparta had a. They almost had a demo- like they had democracy. Like so, they did have kings. They had a so they had Sparta was a diarchy. Okay. Um, which is like they had two kings. Weird. And ostensibly, like the legend, the legend that the legend for like, and they're the two lines. I'm I'm terrible with them. It's the Aegeans and the Europontids okay. were like the two lines of kings. Okay. And the legend that they the legend for why they had power was that they were they were the son like those lines were descended directly from Heracles' two sons. Ah. So like the kings were sons of Heracles. Well, that's convenient for the um, king, isn't it? It's nice. And so <laughs> it was kind of the thing that like you could kick out a king. But you couldn't replace, like, you couldn't make yourself king because the kings were descended from Heracles. So, well, like, yeah, I mean, are you fuck, descended from Heracles? Fuck, yeah, who no. the fuck are you? Yeah, <laughs> like, get, Where, where's your divine right to rule? Your, exactly. Um, so they they had two kings, and the kings, so the kings, I mean, the kings were in, they were in charge in, in terms of king stuff for the most part, but... Their real power came in military campaigns. In military campaigns, the kings were like, "You do what the fuck they say." Like, sure. Literally, they had which just, makes sense. You need someone to be like unilaterally in charge of the military. Yeah, like, but like to the point, like on campaign, on campaign, literally nobody could tell the king what to do. Like he, their word was the word of God itself. Um, but in society, they actually they, they similar to Athens, they had like a semi. Democratic society. So they had these things called ephors, and the ephors were these sort of like, there were five ephors, and the ephors were sort of like the check and balance to the kings. So what the ephors could do, they had two main things they could do. They could introduce legislation. Mm -hmm. So Sparta had a constitution, um, and ephors could, they wrote and introduced legislation. Ephors were elected each they were elected each year uh there were five new efforts elected and the second thing they could do was at a three to two vote they could banish a king wow um, so not during war so uh, there's such a cool like such an interesting system so at peace times there were five efforts okay. and at a three to two vote they could banish or fine a king uh so they could they could fine they could they could find like impose a fine and not banish the king, or they okay. could just straight up banish the king. Okay, so um, there's some checks on the kings in peacetime. Like, they, they, like if the king was yeah, if the king was just being a dick, he could be taken out. Sure. Um, at wartime, the way, the way that military campaigns worked was two efforts would go with one king, so one king would basically be in charge of the war. Okay. Two efforts would go with him, and the whole thing was that with two efforts. You can't. You don't have three efforts, because <laughs> um, <laughs> you need three efforts uh, to banish a king. So uh, basically, two efforts would go with him. So they couldn't do anything to him. Right. But they basically. I mean, they still could take notes, and as soon as the war was over, they could be like, "All right." They would come back to the five and be like, "Hey, this guy fucked up bad." This guy fucked up bad. Like banish his ass. Got it. Um, so that's cool. And then, so they wrote the constitution. Uh, there was also the Gerusia. The Gerusia were like the council of elders. It was just like these twenty-eight old dudes. Uh, they had the position for life, um, okay. position for life, and then 
the kings were also part of the Gurizia. So Gurizia had 30 people, essentially. Okay. Highly sought after position, because it was position, it was for life. Okay. Um, and how did you get to be uh, on the council? Uh, whenever once somebody died, they would they would elect a new one. It was okay. I I think I, th- I think I think it was elected just by the people. Right. Um, I assume it ended up being like rich men somehow. I don't think rich. Um, wealth is a complicated topic in Sparta. Oh. Like Sparta has a saying to like if you, like like don't show your wealth oh. uh, because the whole idea behind Sparta was that everybody was equal. Well, oh. every Spartan was equal. Um, but that's like a diff... Well, I'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah. But, um, they, so they, they, they became... I think it was more, like, older, respected, like... And, like, respect in Sparta was... A lot of it was related to, like, your wartime... Wartime abilities. Yeah. Like, wartime accomplishments. Yeah. Uh, so they did that, and the Gruzia... Uh, the Gruzia, they could... They're big things that they could do is they could basically just table legislation. Like, like any legislation that came up, they'd just be like, fuck it. No. Um, oh, okay. So they had, like, veto power. They, they had veto power. And there was, unlike today, there was no, like, overturning. Yeah. If the Gruzia said no, it was gone. That's um, it. Okay. And um, they could also, they also were the jury. In, in the case that the efforts wanted to banish a king, mm-hmm. the Gruzia were the jury. Um so okay. if the emperors wanted to banish the king, the king, just like kind of a cool, the Gruzi were actually super powerful because they, one they had the veto power, but two like, basically what the kings would do, would if they if they were gonna do something if they're gonna pass a law or anything, they would go talk to the Gruzia and be like, hey, are you cool with this? And then the Gruzi would be like, sure, why not, bro? Right. And so like because bas- then basically if the emperors wanted to. Uh, kicked him out. The Gruzia could just be like, "No, he's he's cool, man. He's oh, fine." Uh, okay. And weirdly, if you were paying attention, I don't. People aren't sure how this worked, but like, because Sparta does not have the, Sparta doesn't is not rich as richly documented as as Athens. Right. Like, it was a military society. Uh, most Who's of it's, got time for writing? Yeah, most of it's most of it's. Uh, gosh, I'm gonna I forget his name. Uh, I think it might have been Theridocles. Uh, most yeah, most of their history was written by an Athenian. Historic, probably oh, Thucydides. Uh, it was probably Thuc- Thucydides, um, but it was most of it was written by an Athenian historian who lived with them. Okay. Um, but weirdly, if you were paying attention, the kings, the kings are on the Gerusia, yeah. So the game, right. the kings were their own. They were their own jury. Right. They were on their right. own jury, which right. is a weird. It was sort of a weird fact. <laughs> it. I mean, it's unclear how that worked because like. But there's still some like checks and balances with the king in Sparta. It's not like a full-on absolute monarchy. It, it's not. It was like, it was there, there, there were it was there were checks and balances, and also the um, every Spartan citizen, every Spartan citizen, got to vo- in the same way that Athens did. They got to vote on every leg- legislation passed. Oh, okay. Um, so every 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 law, so every law the efforts put up. Every person in Sparta got a vote on it. Okay. Um, and if it passed every person in Sparta, it went to the Gerusia. Right. And if it passed the Gerusia, it was a law. Uh, oh, okay. Some people think this is... Some people think this might have been part of the reason that Sparta didn't flourish. Because you'll notice that there are checks and balances, but there are a lot of checks. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. to get to, to become a law, you got to go through, like, you gotta go through a lot of hoops. Yeah. And so 
Well, they I, didn't pass many laws. I can also see how, like, it would be kind of stifling to reforms if everything has to go through a council of, like, old men. Yeah. Who, yeah. maybe maybe their interests are aligned in a certain way, economically or militarily or politically, and then it could be kind of a chokehold on, like, implementing any kind of reforms, yeah. right? Whereas in Athens, you had this great leader, Pericles, who convinced the people of his agenda and made a lot of reforms and yeah. arguably, like, led to a lot of the cities, like, greatness as we know it today, like, building the Parthenon and everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, I can see in Spartan, Sparta, maybe they'd be like, nah, I don't really want to do that. And that's yeah. it. That's the end of the story. Yeah, totally. It, yeah, it was... And it, it showed that, like, in, throughout the ages, like, Sparta was not thought to have passed many laws. Yeah. Like, yeah. they were like... And that was the thing that, like, they didn't adjust well. As it, their civilization hit the, went on the decline, they didn't, they didn't have the sort of flexibility to adjust to, like, not decline. Yeah, yeah. Th- there were things they could have done. Um, and I think I'll get in more to it. Like, the Spartan government is, like, it's interesting, but, like, I think the the real meat of Sparta is, like, the society. Like, yeah. How wacky it was. For sure. Um, but, like, there are, like, things they could have done in society to do it, but, like, the government was, like, it was inflexible, and Spartan way of life was inflexible. Um, and a lot of their laws dated back to this guy named Lycurgus, Okay. But nobody knows if he was real or not. <laughs> People just like say that they like attribute things to like Kyrgyz. Um, but it's one of those weird things that like nobody knows if he's real. It's like I was thinking he's kind of like in like 3,000 years. Like what I imagine people will be like, is George Washington real? Right. <laughs> um, right. Or it's just like he's just like some mythical like right. the forefather. Or for us even like was Jesus real? Like some people yeah. just don't think he was real, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So but like a lot of their laws and traditions came from him, um, and so they just kind of stuck with them. Um, yeah. So that was like, yeah, but, oh, uh, one other cool fact about them, mm-hmm. Spartans were like, maybe not the first, but like, th- probably the first documented civilization with citizens. Oh, okay. Um, every Spartan, every Spartan had, every Spartan was a citizen. I mean, they had... They had duty, they had a responsibility to the uh, nation, but all in return, they received in return they received uh, things. And in particular, every Spartan male, every Spartan male upon coming of age, receives a plot of land and slaves from oh. the state. Wow! Look at that. From just <laughs> every so. That's it's what it was. The first welfare state. It was, that's why I said, like, every, like, Spartacus was radically equal, like, in the sense that, like, every Spartan was, like, over time, things became less equal. Yeah. But the sense, like, the idea was that, like, every Spartan was equal because, like, they didn't have to work to, like, they didn't have to work to become rich or whatever. They right. were given land, they were right. given slaves, they were... It wasn't, like, in Athens where you had, like, a merchant class who was striving to become richer all the time. There, it was actually, it was illegal for... It was illegal for Spartans to be merchants. There you go. Uh, that was left to the the Periquai, um, which were. Well, I'll talk. Well, I'll talk more about them in a bit. But yeah, it was it was illegal. It was illegal for, like Spartans, they couldn't be merchants. They couldn't be craftsmen. Wow. They couldn't. Honestly, they were they were soldiers. Like yeah, I was, guess I guess they would, would they be farmers in peacetime. They and then they didn't really work. Okay. That was the thing. Like. If you were a Spartan male, outside, of, I mean, life wasn't easy because, like, 
it was a super brutal war training society. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. But like in terms of work, you didn't really have to work. I mean, this kind of reminds me of like the aristocracy in like let's say Britain before before World War Two, right? Yeah. Where people were like a lord or an earl or a duke or whatever it was. They had their kind position. Of, yeah. And they had some lands, and they didn't work. You know, they had someone else who managed the farm for them. They yeah. had their the estate. They had their, their the people who like rented the land from them or whatever, who were yeah. maybe kind of similar to like the slaves or peasants or whatever. Uh, yeah. So like, yeah, superficially something. Superficially, yeah. The slaves had but the, no rights. But the point is, these these guys did not actively produce like any kind of labor or you know, yeah, they an innovation or anything for the society. Yeah, they in exchange for their in exchange for their military service. Yeah, they. It, they basically, like, I think it's similar, but... Yeah. Yeah, and same for military service, the state provided for them. Right, right. Which, and, again, kind of similar to Britain. Like, the expectation was, like, the noble families would all send their sons off to war to yeah. die in, like, India yeah. or whatever it was, expanding the empire, right? So it's a little yeah. similar. Yeah. So, cool shit. Yeah, that's super interesting. Okay. So, I think our next bucket is arts, culture, and society. Uh, so you took kind this, of different, like, uh, what was it? Different, different paths here. This is where this, this is where you get spice. This, this is where the spice comes. Yeah. In. So, um, so I personally did not do a deep dive on um, Athens arts, culture, and art or society. I guess I sort of focused on one figure in particular, Socrates, who I think most people have probably heard of. But there's some interesting stuff about Socrates that I think people might not be super familiar yeah. with. Um. So He's yeah, that's the hemlock guy. Yeah, Socrates is the hemlock guy. Yeah. What are like? Tell me more. Yeah. So basically, Socrates is interesting. So in that he is known as the father of philosophy. Okay. He's the first figure in all of world history to sort of consider these kinds of philosophical questions. He's right? the he's the one he's the like I think therefore I am. Is that Socrates? Soc- I think that's someone else. That's one of the is French that philosophers. That's one of the French philosophers. Socrates is the guy who said the unexamined life is not worth living, which is like the great philosophical mm-hmm. motto. Yeah. So I think I think there were thinkers and philosophers before Socrates in in Athens and in Greece. I think what's special about Socrates is he had this mindset of constantly questioning things and not taking anything for granted and really okay. starting from scratch by first principles. And I think that is what makes him special among philosophers. So there's actually not much that's like directly known about Socrates' life because he never wrote down anything and left it for history. Really? So the people who actually wrote about Socrates were his students. There was Plato, who's obviously very famous. And this other guy, Xenophon. So a lot of what we know about Socrates comes from that and kind of from, like, random other writers or city records or whatever in Athens. Um, What we do know about Socrates, like, directly personally, is that he was born in Athens. He fought in a bunch of the military campaigns of Athens, possibly against the Persians as well. So he was a hoplite in the military campaigns. He was both brilliant and one thing a lot of the sources say is that he was ugly. This Damn. guy just Damn. had a. This guy had a face even his mother could not love. So he was like, he was like the, he was the classical Greek equivalent of like, the just like fedora wearing philosopher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, like, he was kind of annoying, and everyone's kind of like, ugh, like Socrates like, here. Mm, yeah. So needs th- women when you <laughs> when you have the knowledge. <laughs> so this is the description of Socrates, which I love, which is that. Socrates is quite a strange figure in Athens, going about barefoot, long-haired, and unwashed in a society with incredibly refined standards of beauty. It didn't help that he was, by all accounts, physically ugly, with an upturned nose and bulging eyes. And if you just Google and look for sculptures of Socrates, bulging eyes. he's not he's not a great-looking guy in the sculpture. You know, the ancient Greeks knew how to make statues that looked incredibly beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That was the, yeah. and Socrates 
was not one of those. <laughs> oh, that's a bummer, man. Um, yeah. So basically, Socrates... It's not a kind description. It's not. It's not. Yeah. So that's that's kind of a picture of him. He had a family. He had a wife. He had three kids, all sons. Um, okay. And not much is known about his personal life beyond that, really. He did pretty good for himself. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't a total outcast. Um, so Socrates basically, um, he developed something called the Socratic Method, where basically, so he's trying to um, question a student about a certain topic, right? Like, what is the meaning of life? Or it, can we know certain truths to be true? And basically, the student comes in with certain presuppositions, certain things they think they know. And via just questioning, 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 yeah. never actually stating anything That's for right. certain, so the Socrates would break down students' preconceptions of what they know, and hopefully build them up into something more accurate, right. closer to the truth. And I mean, that's like that's known the world over as Socratic method now, which is super cool. My my like one philosophy class in college is it's coming back to me. Yeah, and I'm like that's that's right. That's yeah. the, that's the Socratic Same. method. Yeah, I took one ethics class, and yeah. I think there was a topic like is there such a thing as an absolute right or wrong? Right. And the teacher pulled out Socratic method and just bulldozed so, us. So, how, yeah, how long liked he is to this day. Yeah, yeah, um, method. yeah. So, he was known as the gadfly of Athens, and the reason is because he was always, like, holding up sort of the mirror to those in power and sort of questioning, like, why things are the way they are, and are we making the right decisions, and he was unpopular with both those in power and with the people of Athens, which I think is interesting. He wasn't, like, a populist, necessarily. People were, like, everyone was kind of like, oh, my God, fucking Socrates. Fucking Socrates. Um, so, uh, there's kind of a cool story about, about Socrates here, which I'm just going to read. So, according to Plato, Socrates' life as the gadfly began with his friend as the oracle at Delphi. If anyone were wiser than Socrates, the oracle responded that no one was wiser than Socrates. Socrates believed the oracle's response was not correct, because he believed he possessed no wisdom whatsoever. He proceeded to test the riddle by approaching men considered wise by the people of Athens, statesmen, poets, and artisans, in order to refute the oracle's pronouncement. Questioning them, however, Socrates concluded, while each man thought he knew a great deal and was wise, in fact they knew very little and were not wise at all. So Socrates interpreted the meaning of the oracle thus, while so-called wise men thought themselves wise and yet were not, he himself knew he was not wise at all, which, paradoxically, made him the wiser one since he was the only person aware of his own ignorance. So basically he sort of like made everyone look foolish by questioning them and making them, like, realize they didn't actually know what they thought they knew and just being sort of general nuisance. Okay, I, I, okay. So I, 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 I appreciate what he's done for philosophy, um, but he does kind of sound like... He sounds, like, like super annoying. But yeah. He's a, yeah, like, the kind of dude who comes in, he'd be like, I know I am not wise, and therefore I am the wisest. And you're like, shut the fuck up, Socrates. Like, <laughs> we're just having a drink. Like, imagine being friends with Socrates and just trying to talk about, like, anything with him. Yeah. He's always just tearing down what you're saying and breaking it down. It'd yeah, be like, incredibly annoying. I'd be like, I'd be like, oh, man, like, man, I really love the Last Avengers movies. Did you? Yeah. Well, why did you like it? I don't know. I like, I like big men and explosions. <laughs> why do you like these? And I'm like, Fucking Socrates. <laughs> Every time. Fucking, I just want to like something. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Seriously, it's being exhausting. But I think, I think, that's cool. I, I think it's cool. I, I mean, I think Socrates is sort of like, I know you narrowed in on Socrates, but I think he's a cool, like, I think he's an indicative, he's indicative of sort of the wider culture of, of Athens, which was, which did tend much more to philosophy and, 
yeah. philosophy and literature. I mean, famously, there was, like, the Academy of Athens, which is just a gathering of, like, the greatest minds yeah. in Athens, which is, like, a pretty... It was, like, it was, like the Avengers headquarters of, uh, of its yeah. age. You know, it was pretty cool. But what's interesting about Socrates, though, is that, like I was saying, he wasn't popular with the people. And so he actually ends up pissing off a lot of, like, the wrong people, right? He does. And um, he actually goes on trial and is found guilty of corrupting the minds of the youth of Athens and of impiety towards the That's gods right. of the city. So um, basically what happens is uh, the trial goes, this doesn't go well for him. He gets found guilty and convicted and given the death sentence. Um, so this is where his famous quote, quote comes from, actually, in this trial, the unexamined life is not worth living. Um, his famous, so the, 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 the sentence given to him is to drink hemlock, which is a form of poison. What a weird punishment, though. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like we're going to make you kill yourself. <laughs> by drinking yeah and there's a there's a famous uh, painting of him drinking the hemlock and looking all heroic with his students all yeah. gathered around him crying and in all likelihood it probably didn't happen anything like that but you know it's yeah. nice to picture it like that his last words were uh, kind of a joke he says Crito I assume Crito's one of his friends Crito we owe Rooster to Asclepius please don't forget to pay the debts so his last words were about Forgetting to, not forgetting to pay someone for a yeah. rooster they borrowed once. So it's like, it's like the modern day equivalent of like, oh, I forgot to turn the stove off. Yeah, exactly. That's right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a what a guy. Yeah. What a chap. So uh, he so he the way the death sentence happened was he drank the brewed hemlock. His excuser handed him. He walked around until his legs grew numb, then lay down and waited for the poison to reach his heart. And that's how he died. So he's an interesting figure. I think he. Uh, I think yeah, like you said, he exemplifies a lot of the things that. Um, we think we know about Athens and the things that we don't know about Athens. Like, yeah. Athens had a real vindictive streak, and Athens actually executed one of its greatest thinkers. So, yeah. I they think there's, there's a lot there to learn to learn about Athens. Did you, did you get any... I'm curious about, like, in terms of society, did you get into any of the, um... Did you get, did you get into any of the, like, like, slavery and... Slavery and how that all set that all was set up in in Athens. Honestly, I didn't get super into the slavery. I know there was slavery in Athens. Yeah, um, I know it's super common. Slavery slaves they basically didn't have any political rights, but the slaves did have the option slavery. to buy themselves out of debt. Did they create enough money? Oh. Yeah. So it was it wasn't like um, the American slavery slave system where it was like very you know um, yeah this defined line between slaves and not slaves. Yeah, it was more nice. kind of a fluid kind of a barrier. Okay. Yeah, respect that. Yeah. I mean, in some sense. Slavery's yeah. bad. Still slavery. Still slavery. Slavery bad. Um, yeah, slavery's but... still bad. But, uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Should I talk about Sparta? Yeah, let's do it. Sparta, man. I, okay, so Barnum Society, man, I love this. It was just like such a wacky journey. I don't even know where to start is the thing. <laughs> so I'll start, I'll start, I'll start from, I'll start from the, from the youth. All right. Like, so Sparta, Sparta is this just military society. And like, it just starts from the, it starts just from, from day one. Yeah, like literally day one. Uh-huh. You get you Spartan. I'm, I'm just like I'm gonna walk you through the life of a Spartan. Okay, the like day one, um, Spartans. You get brought. I think some people probably know this. You get brought before the council of elders, uh-huh. um, and they look at you and see if you have any deformities. Okay, and if you have any deformities. <laughs> You get chucked off the fucking cliff. Uh, just day <laughs> oh one. Oh my god, uh, that so, was real. I thought it was made up for three hundred. No, infanticide was a real. Oh my god, infanticide was a real thing, and it was a weird thing because 
And sorry, one sec. So the Council of Elders, the people you talked about earlier. I think is I think it's them. Yeah. The, so the this group of like twenty eight old men are all like looking at a baby and just being like, eh, it's got a weird nose. It's got a weird nose. Why don't we get rid of it and try it's, again? Uh, I'm gonna kill that one. Yeah. Um, but it's, wow. This is a cool. Is a cool. It's gonna be a common theme in Spartan, Sparta. But an interesting thing is that unlike in most societies where infanticide infanticide disproportionately targets girls. Mm-hmm. Infanticide in Sparta almost exclusively targeted males. Because they wanted to be ready for military fitness, basically. Yes. Uh, so, females, they got a pass for the most part. Uh, Interesting. But males, if you had a deformity at birth, off the cliff. Um, I wonder, do we, do we have any idea how common it was? It was pretty common. Wow. Like, it... They were not a forgiving. They were. They were not a forgiving society. I wonder what deformity means. Is it like, I, oh, one leg is like totally useless, or is it like, eh, one leg slightly shorter than the other leg? Like, like if you couldn't, I think it was like if, if it if it was clear that you wouldn't make it in the military, you were useless. Wow. Like How can you tell it from the baby. That's anyway, like, many questions. You had like one arm, or sure, maybe like a hump. It's like yeah, like a hump back. Sure. Um, sure. that's no good, man. Wow. Okay. Okay. So day okay. one. Get your shit together yeah. as a baby. Wow. Okay. Uh, don't let those chromosomes get you down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that day one. And then age seven, the boys are sent away to basically military camp. Um, get them early. To begin All their right. military training. Yeah. And it's just this, for the first five years, it's basically just survival camp. Wow. Like the camp, it's, like, it's a basically, you're put with this team of other, other seven to 12 year old boys. Mm-hmm. And, like, for the first, I mean, you're trained in military things, but, like, the way it was described by, the way I was, I, I kind of heard it described was that, like, the first five years was, like, will you survive? So, like, you had minimal, you got minimal food, you were encouraged to steal food, you had minimal, you were given, like, one cloak that was supposed to last you the whole year, like, <laughs> and, like, wow. that was supposed to keep you warm through winter. Oh, my God. Like, you had to, like, so, like. It was basically a, it was basically like a trial by fire, like, uh, and if I was, we were talking about this the other day. This is my favorite. It's my favorite, but also just worst fact about Sparta. Um, so there was sort of a survival thing, and as the as they sort of as they sort of grew, but they also, I mean, they also trained in, they also trained in like some military, but like some military stuff, but like not. Like, they were still a little too young to, like, do the full, full, like, wield the armor and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but from the young age, they were sort of, like, the the best of the best. We're sort of indoctrinated early into the idea of killing in military. Okay. Um, so this thing called the Crypt Day. And the Crypt Day was whack. All right. Um, so I, I haven't gone over, like, so Spartan Society had three different people. They were the Spartiates, which were Spartans. They were all equal. Okay. They were the top of the top. Sure. Um, Spartans could only marry Spartans. Okay. Um, and could only have babies with Spartans. Okay. So it's kind of like the... It's almost like a caste system, and they're like the warrior caste. Yes. Of. Okay. Um, and you cannot... Yeah. And there's... So... But you'll notice it's extremely exclusive. Yeah. In the sense of like, how do you make more Spartans? You have babies. What happens if you're throwing babies off cliffs? Who knows? <laughs> uh, and that, right. that's, that's it's like a leading theory for why 
like Sparta, if you look at Sparta through the ages, uh-huh. like Sparta at its prime, which was like probably like 500 BC, mm-hmm. um, had around 10,000 Spartans. Okay. Um, by the time the end of the Peloponnesian War was rolling around, there were like two or two ish thousand Spartans. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, and then by the time, by the time Rome was rolling around, there were like a hundred Spartans. Oh my God. Um, I, at that point you gotta start to worry about incest. Even if there's only a couple thousand people, you gotta worry about incest. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, I don't think, incest was not, like, it was, I think, incest was not a good Well, maybe that's why they had the, they had the deformity rule. It was because with more incest, you're more likely to have deformities. Yeah. But it, it, it was, it was such, I mean, hey, what are you gonna do? Uh, <laughs> but it was, yeah. it was, it was an interesting, I mean, I think, I think it was like a testament to like, just like, no to the world, um, like, basically immigration, immigration, and like, letting people become Spartans is not a yeah, thing, yeah. which is like, that's how you end a society. Right. There's no population inflow, and when you're always fighting wars, the population outflow is... And when you're killing babies, that looks committed. suspicious. <laughs> and I'll get... Gosh, there's just so many facts. Like, when you get into Spart- Spartan homosexuality, big thing. Okay. Um, real homosexual. Oh, um, okay. So, Spartan... There was actually a big problem where Spartan... Spartan men didn't want to have sex with women, um, huh. so it was actually another like another big problem was just having getting Spartan men to have babies. Whoa! Um, wow! So put that in your movie three hundred. Put that in your movie three hundred. Come on, Frank Miller. Yeah. Why? How, like, how are you gonna put a twenty first century spin on? <laughs> The yeah. most homosexual society ever made. So that scene in Zack Snyder's movie where the king and queen are making love in the bedroom. Probably two dudes instead. Uh, may, Gore, apparently, that that's Queen Gore, though. Apparently she was a badass, so maybe she was cool enough for, for, yeah. Le, for Leonidas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of, I mean, a lot of men. Uh, it was like, so it was like this thing. I'm skipping, I'm going to skip, I want to get back to the crypt day because they're wild. Sure. But there was this thing where men, boys when they hit, I think it was when they hit the age 12. Okay. They would be paired with an older man. An older unmarried man, usually in his twenty, like mid twenties. Okay. And the man would sort of be like a mentor to the young boy. Okay. But also, we just have lots of sex with them. Oh wow. Um, oh okay. Yeah, and then so like basically like, and these and so like, because the male training also they took them away from the women. Right. And like it was just all young boys training together. Right. By the time they were reintroduced back to women. They were like, "Who? The, what the fuck is this? What the fuck <laughs> is this? Yeah. Like, who, who, who are you? What are what you? I, what do I do with this? Yeah. Like, I've been having yeah. sex with this old man this whole, my whole life. Um, yeah. And so, like, it was actually a tradition. When a Spartan man got married, what they would do is they would shave the wife. They would shave the wife, kidnap her, tie her to a bed. No, wait. What the tie? I don't know. Tie her to it. They would kidnap, shave her head. I mean, this was consensual. Yeah. But. Like, they would they'd shave her head, dress her in boys' clothing, and then the man would sneak out from his, like, bunkmates, uh-huh. go have sex with the woman, uh-huh. and then after he was done, and, like, who's dressed as a man looks like a man. Right, um, right. And then after after he's done, would go back to hang out with his bunkmates. Wow. And he would do he would do that for sometimes months until, wow. like, he finally felt comfortable with a wife. That's um, just insane. It was, it was. That's it was, bonkers. I mean, the, I mean, 
not to be all like you know whatever judgmental about it, but just coming from our, our perspective of like, like you from know, the twenty first century Western society, whatever. That's just yeah. there's so much going on there to like unpack. That's like, crazy. Spartans, like in some ways, Spartan society was like <laughs> very forward with like sexuality, and also I'll get into a little bit later the like female power and yeah. Sparta was like was like way was like way way more forward thinking than than any other any other ancient. Civilization for the okay. most part. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I really, I want to jump back to the, I want to jump back to the life story of the young Spartan. Sure. Cause I think it's a good, I think it's, a, it's just a fun thing. Sure. Um, so they had these kids who were crypte. Yeah. And these kids, I was telling you the other day, they're just roving, roving bands of like murder, right. murdered kids. Right, right, right. Um, so like, the three classes were the Spartans. Uh, they're the top class, the Paraquai. Okay. Which kind, I think like literally means like. Those who live around uh, <laughs> shows they, you how important they are. Yeah, they were. They're just kind of there. They're just kind of there. They were the they were the merchant and craft. They were the merchant and manufacturing class. Okay. Um, and they, and they're basic. They they were the Greeks. They were the Greeks living around the Peloponnese, who lived around Sparta, who Sparta didn't enslave. Um, Got it. And then there were the Helots, okay. who were the slaves. Helots were Got the slave it. class. Um. It was in terms of population, it's actually a fun like it's a fun discussion about like the Helots outnumbered Spartans like uh, by some estimates like five to one. Okay. Um, so Helot revolt was always a fear. Yeah. So like one of the things they did is that like they would send these kids out, uh, these like promising young kids like on the older like usually like ten to twelve. Right. Um, they would send them out at night. So there's one time a year. Where the ephors would basically declare war on the helots. Okay. Uh, it's just sort of like it's a sort of ceremonial thing, but during that time, the these young promising kids were encouraged to go out and just kill the strongest helots they could find. Oh my god! And just like, it was like, just like legal murder. Like um, the helots be out there working in the field or whatever slavery yeah. they were it's told like to do. Doing nothing. Yeah, minding their own business, and these kids would come right out of nowhere and just try to kill them and just murder them. Um, Were the helots like armed? Was it like gladiatorial no. combat? No. Okay. Well, no, it was just it was just straight murder. Um, Jesus Christ! It was a Spartan study. Was like they were brutally terrible to again. The helots. Why wasn't that in three hundred? Like they were, like, like in some like in some ways the Spartans they they were well respected and they did some cool shit, but like in some ways like in the way they they treated their helots terribly. Like yeah, well, even by, even by the standards of like nineteenth century American slavery. Yeah. That's, just next like, level. And, but, but it was a way they kept them intact was that, like, it's hard to form a rebellion when all your strongest men are getting murdered by these, like, right. terror children. And when you're, like, living psychological terror every day and just being murdered every, for no reason every, by a 12-year-old with a giant spear. Like, every child <laughs> you see, you, like, you just, like, start shivering. You're like, please, please, child. Fear, yeah. Um, yeah, then... Talk about, like, psychological intimidation. Yeah. Uh, but then, okay, there's, uh, there's so much good stuff. Definitely, like, so at the age of twelve, they basically have their test, okay. and their test, the te- the test is there are these cheese wheels. <laughs> there are these cheese wheels. I have no idea going the, just these cheese wheels on an altar. Okay. And the boys, I mean, I laugh, but like it was actually a brutal thing. Um, cheese wheels on an altar, and the boys basically had to go steal as many cheese wheels as they could from the altar. Okay. But surrounding the altar were older boys with whips. 
who would just beat the living shit out of them. Oh my god! Um, so it was the boys that had to like they had to try and get as many cheese as possible, while the boys were just whipping them and just like beating them. Jesus um, Christ! And yeah, some kids did, some kids died at this. Um, oh my god! But you got if you got a lot of cheese, primo, good stuff. <sighs> and this, I think, I, I think it's like why why was it so important that you got cheese? Uh, so I'll fast forward because this. I'm taking up a lot of time, but, like, there's just some, like, I'll fast forward to, like, tw- the next the next six to eight years were military training. Yeah. Um, they focus on, like, military training and um, also dance. Apparently dance oh. was big. Interesting. Uh, when you think about it, dance is, like, it's sort of, like, the ability to have coordinated movement. It's really important if you're in a phalanx-type yeah, Failing type situation. Like building rhythm, kind of. I can yeah. see that. Moving in a um, coordinated manner. Yeah. Yeah, so they did that. And then at the end of that, they would... At the end of that, I think I think at age 20, they'd go up for election. Okay. And there are these things called mess halls. And the mess halls were sort of the central... The, like, the family structure of the Spartan world. These mess halls, they're like gentlemen's clubs. But basically all men were in this mess hall and there were, I think there were like 12 to 20 men in each of them and you had to eat every single meal in your mess hall okay like by law okay like, is so this you, like your unit like your military unit it's kind of like a unit I don't know I assume I assume they I assume they would like fight together but yeah. I, I didn't see how they like they formed in I didn't see specifics on how these mess halls played into, like, actual military structure. Yeah, yeah. That would, but, that would make sense if it's, like, your platoon and you have to, like, stay with your platoon all the time. Yeah. Like, that makes sense. Yeah. But just means, like, they didn't really eat with their wives and kids. They, right. They always ate with the mess halls, and you had to provide goods to the mess halls. Like, you had to bring food and wine and, and stuff to the mess hall. Um, right. So this is your community hall. But at age 20, you had to be elected into a mess hall. So the mess halls would all come around, and if they liked you... They would invite you to join, and you would join. Right. If nobody liked you, you became called. Uh, what do they call you? Uh, oh, and when, once you get, once you get a mess hall, you get your land and slaves. Oh. So that's what. Like as soon as you're in the mess hall, you get a man, land Got and slaves. It. Got it. Um, if nobody chooses you, you become an inferior, and you're basically just an outcast. Like, you're okay. like you might as well be dead at that point because wow, you're. Talk about popularity contest. Yeah, it's so. I mean, that's why you gotta get as many cheese wheels as possible. Yeah, the cheese wheels. Yeah, cheese wheels matter. Um, Cheese. Okay. So that that's sort of like the growth process. Um, And then I talked about like the three classes, and then I think the other the other cool thing about society. So that's like you can tell it's it's just a brutal militaristic society. Yeah. But on the other hand of it, one cool fact about Spartan, which differs greatly from Athens, Mm. is. Women, women in Sparta were like, at, were like super, super, like had a super amount of freedom and power. So this would be like the wives and the moms of the Spartan caste, right? The warrior yeah. caste. Like we're not talking the what the Helot women and the Periclae. I mean Helot women, they were they're just they, they're just child fodder. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> child murder fodder. They're there to be killed. Yeah. Um, every like yeah, um, the Periclae. They were outside Sparta law, so like they do their own shit. Okay. But like, like Spartan women, like, come, like, I, I, you didn't touch on it, but like, in it, I mean, I think a big thing about Athens is that women had almost 
they were powerless. Yeah. The women, like, they didn't have a vote. They didn't have anything. Yeah. In Sparta, in Sparta, like, women, they, the way, like, the way inheritance worked is that when a, a husband died, all his private property, which is unclear how private property came about, but okay. all the private property would go to the wife. Okay. And when the wife died, all her property would be split equally among male and female children. Um, the women, they could, they could, they had, I mean, they had political power. Um, they could go around and, like, the women, they would wrestle with, they, they would go around and wrestle, they would fight, they would, they would, like, they had, like, they had a ton of freedom to do what they wanted. Got and it was, like, a cool, like, there's some cool quotes about, like, like, Athenian woman, like, looking at Spartan woman, and, like, like, there was this one Spartan woman, Lanfido, and, like, she was, it was, like, a, it was, like, a tale about, and all the Athenian women gathered around her, and they were, like, hey, hey, nice bod girl, like, hey, right, like, nice ass, right, um, and then Lanfido was, like, yeah, I go to the gym, I work out, <laughs> and they were, like, sure. oh, shit, um, <laughs> motherfucker, <laughs> and there's another, another, another quote that I really liked was uh, they were known for their they were known for their laconic humor like they're like sort of dry wit right um, and like another quote from I forget I forget who it is but like they like Athenian women were gathering around Spartan like a Spartan woman and they were like why are Spartan women the only woman who can rule over men and then the Spartan woman was like because Spartan women are the only women who give birth to men. To Spartan um, men. To men. Oh, to men. Period. Oh, period. Oh, wow. Okay. They didn't consider... A little bit of clap back there. They, yeah, they didn't, they didn't consider Athenians men. Um, <laughs> um, oh, my God. But, yeah, so, like, so like in... Like, it, was a, it was sort of interesting that, like, it's a brutal society. Yeah. But women had a lot of freedom. Yeah. Uh, and it was sort of, like, a, it was, it was actually, like, a lot of people and, like, uh, like, a lot of Athenians were, like, super afraid of it because they were, like, women having... Right. Women being allowed to go right. out and talk and have rights? Like, what? What if our women start wanting that? What if our women want yeah. And, like, some of the wealthiest people in Spartan society were women because uh, okay. of their... If you think how the system works, if you have a wealthy woman... If you have a husband mm-hmm. who somehow accumulates a lot of wealth, mm-hmm. which... Unclear how they do that because wealth is sort of a taboo thing in Spartan society. Sure. But then all his wealth goes to his wife. Got it. And if you're the daughter, if you're the daughter of a wealth of a wealthy woman, mm-hmm. um, when she dies, you get all her wealth. Oh. And then you marry a man with wealth, oh. and then he dies, and you get all his wealth. So the wealth is sort of like matri- matrilineal. It's mat- yeah. And they actually created these like there are these things called Spartan heiresses. Who are like these ultra rich? At some point, they they control like sixty percent of land in Sparta. Wow! Um, and like they had like a lot of sway in the government because like they would be like giving loans to the government, like to the kings <laughs> and shit. Oh my god! Um, so real, I mean, Spart- Spartan society. Honestly, it was it was a wack. It was like a it was just like a wacky like. It was a wacky experiment. Yeah. And like. There's just, Ultra like, zero military. connections between, like, the way our society is set up and the way their society is set up. It, it, like, it's just, like, there's, like, caste system, and everything's, like, militaristic. Yeah. And, like, it's all geared around, like, 
making men as like warlike as possible. It's it, and it's just yeah, it's crazy. Some some historians that I I like I, I listen to were they described it as an experimental society, and I think yeah. that's so true that like it almost feels like an experimental society. Like if we do all these wacky things, will we be successful? Right. Like if we right. throw babies off cliffs, what are that going to be? <laughs> what does that turn out to be? Right, 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 um, right. But yeah, so that is, I mean, it's dope society. Man. Yeah, well, that was super interesting. I did not know a lot of that stuff, and wow, that's, I'm still reeling from all of that. That's just it's, insane. Yeah, it, I feel like. I think, I think the roving bands and murder kids the, third, the craziest the band, thing I've oh, heard in a while. What a time. Yeah. All right, but we, we, we're going along. We, I feel like we should jump to the military. Yeah. Like, we. It's time for spice. Yeah, well, we'll try and do the military section uh, efficiently. Yeah. Okay. So military. So um, for for the military of Athens, um, I wanted to focus on the navy and a particular person involved in the navy, Themistocles. So the Athenian navy was sort of like the British navy in the in the nineteenth century. It was like the British navy of its day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't always like that. So in the Second Persian War, there was this guy Themistocles who was basically like a prominent politician in Athens. And he was both, a, he was interesting in that he was both a political genius and a military genius, which you don't get much of in world history. Usually it's one or the other. But um, basically, basically outmaneuvered a bunch of people, became the most prominent politician in Athens. And he basically knew, hey, he knew the Persians were coming. Okay, this is, after the first Persian War, Athens kicked the per- Persians' ass at the Battle of Marathon. This is 10 years later. Everyone knows the Persians are coming back under Xerxes. Yeah. So Themistocles says we should build a massive fucking fleet of triremes to combat the Persian threat because that's like you know that's our thing we're the Athenians, and so basically he convinces the city to do this and that's what happens, and Themistocles also starts building a coalition of Greek city states to combat the Persian threat. So, which um, I was like, trireme, what a fucking. What a ship, dude. Yeah. It's I was like, a giant fucking battering ram. I was I was gonna talk a bit about the trireme, but we can talk about it now. So the triremes were like this like this, the height of like technological sophistication of of classical yeah. Greece. They're like the F sixteens of their day. Like each trireme was like it was like perfectly balanced for like center of gravity, weight, height, for like speed, maneuverability, but also all those things. Fucking, it's also just a giant fucking battery. Well that's the interesting thing, is like different city states use the trireme in different ways. So like for Sparta, what they would do is they would have the trireme and they would go full speed at another ship and slam into it and they would basically like turn into a land battle yeah. where like Sparta would like dominate, right? Because they totally. were the best hot pop Athens would use the trireme to like outmaneuver and then ram oh. the side of a ship. So Sparta would go head on, right? Athens would go head uh, from the side Ran to the ship and tried to sink them. Bunch of wusses. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true Spartan <laughs> hoplite. Um, so each trireme required around 200 men to crew it. Um, and one of the big battles we're going to talk about here, the Battle of Salamis, Athens put out 180 ships. Um, so uh, different cities put out like 220, 15. Turn is on Wikipedia right now. Yeah. I have not memorized all these numbers, yeah. Sparta is on, put out 16 ships. Um, so, you know, each, so each ship required around 200 crew, so just back in the envelope, Athens had 36,000 men crewing these triremes at the Battle of Salamis. In fact, all the cities together at the Battle of Salamis probably had, um, on the order of 400 times, so 800,000, is that right? Nope, 80,000, 80,000 men. 
my math is off there. Sorry, folks. Yeah, 80,000 men. But yeah, still like an insanely huge number of people. I mean, it's basically like nothing normally you see in a land mammal, but at sea. Mm-hmm. But so, so Themistocles basically like gets his massive fleet together. And what he does is he builds a Greek coalition and he convinces the Spartans to go to Thermopylae to hold off the Persians, right? Yeah. And to just like just stop them in their tracks right there. Well, he takes the navy, and this is a combined navy, okay? This isn't just Athens. This is, like, the, the allied fleet of Greece. And they go to this place called Artemisium. So the plan is to stop the Persians by land at Thermopylae, and stop the Persians by sea at Artemisium. Yeah, the problem by, is... One if by land, two if by sea. Exactly. <laughs> so he takes he command of the, of the allied fleet. And what's interesting to notice here is that this fleet of triremes is so fucking huge they actually had to empty the city of Athens of all of its like military aged men to just be rowers on this fleet. Fuck yeah. So, so Athens is empty. Okay, all the women and children are, are have left. They've gone to like some backup site. They have that they have prepared, and so this uh, this actually also sort of like serves as a commitment of Athens like effort to the war. Okay, mm-hmm. like the idea here is that like Athens literally abandoned its city. All of its military aged men are on this fleet. And it's like it sort of like serves like a, as, as like a way to like force all the other cities into the coalition because they're like okay well Athens is going all in on this like I guess we got to too, and they actually had to do some talking to the Spartans to go to Thermopylae so I think this helped like convince the Spartans that they had to like pitch in and help. So what happens is, Thermopylae ends up uh, and Spartans end up getting overrun at Thermopylae or the Allied army gets like, end up getting overrun at Thermopylae after a couple of days. And so there's no point in sort of blocking the Persians any longer. And so they abandon Artemisium and they fall back to this place called Salamis. So Salamis basically is like a little sort of like inlet, like a little um, channel of water near Athens, okay? And the Persians had blocked in the Allied fleet there, okay? And um, what Themistocles does is he knows that the Greeks are better than, than Persians at sort of like hand-to-hand, like narrow combat, okay? Because the, the Greeks have heavy infantry covered in armor. And the Persians, yeah, have light infantry with a very little armor on. So if they can um, get the Persians to engage them in the narrow confines of the inlet, the, even though the Persians have way more ships than the Greeks, that won't help them because the Persians can only bring so much force to bear at a certain point. Okay? So he actually sends a note to the Persian general, Mardonius, saying, we are ready to um, surrender. We, the Athenians, are ready to surrender and ditch the rest of the Greeks. Um, if you'll let us, if you'll co- just come to the entrance, so much, we'll come to you. So much sneakery, man. Yeah, no, Themistocles was a really cunning guy. Just, he had that, he had that political just mind. It's fun <laughs> just be like, come and fucking get it. Let's go. Themistocles, uh, he was a thinker. He's he a thinker. Yeah, he was a, he's a tricky one. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of like the Loki of, like, the, the conflict. Yeah. Um, so the, basically, he, he convinces the, the Persian, through some deception, to sail into the mouth of the channel, Okay. And, um, so the Persians sail into the channel, and, um, the Athens and the Spartans, uh, and the Albertinals, uh, sail out to meet the Persians. But instead of defecting like he had promised, the whole Greek fleet just attacks the Persians, okay? Yeah. And the per- Persians are, like, scrambling in formation and, like, face them, okay? And basically, the details are kind of sketchy here, but it basically ends up being a total triumph for the Greek fleet, and the Persians just get absolutely wrecked. And I think what ends up happening is what I described, where the Greek heavy infantry just, like, overrun the Persian infantry mm-hmm. in hand-to-hand combat. And the Persian fleet, even though they have way more ships, again, they're going to bring so much force to bear at one point, and it doesn't really help them. And so there's some survivors in the Persian fleet, but it basically ends up being, like, mainly smashed at this battle. Um, and the Persian army, this leaves them in a tricky position, actually, 
because the Persian army is counting the Persian navy for yeah. close support as they march down the coast of Greece. Yeah. So the, Sal- the Battle of Salamis actually ends up being one of the turning points of the entire Second Persian War because um, of this, yeah, this great victory they had. So Themistocles, really, I think, one of the great figures in uh, Greek history, it's Greek a, military history. It's, um, an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing though. Like, like log- logistically, the Battle of Salamis. I mean, I think I think you're right. Like, Battle of Salamis is. It's probably the it's probably the last. It's 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 sort of the decisive battle that like stops the because yeah, without without water support they can't really resupply their army well exactly. Um, but it's interesting that it's like I feel like if if I were to name a battle, like I feel like battle it's like it's sort of an undersung battle. Like it is. I mean, because very... when you talk about the second Persian, we were thinking about Thermopylae. It's always Thermopylae. But maybe. Thermopylae was straight up just a defeat. It wasn't even like it accomplished that much, honestly, because the Greeks already abandoned Athens by that point. So there's no yeah. point in like holding out for any longer. It was like, well, what are we waiting for? Um, I mean, they, yeah. From they, the Persian point of view, you think about it, it's like you have your army. Your army's delayed by three days, whatever, and they keep going. I right? think like I think it, it was it was sort of like a annoying frustration for like yeah like Xerxes was like fucking ugh I got like, he's like looking at his watch he's like. I got places to be, but like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'm three days behind schedule. You know, my my boat for Egypt leaves in like a week. Like, like, come gotta, on, listen, the the Sopranos is on it. Sopranos <laughs> is on it, Ted. Right. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah, but, I know. I could DVR, but it's much better to watch it live. Yeah, but um, it, yeah, it, no, it's a more known. But the sound is really it's like a decisive battle, and then and then later on you have the Battle of Piraeus, which is the great land battle, where the Persian army itself gets smashed. Yeah. Um, but Salamis really, I think. I think it's a really underrated battle. Yeah. I, I think I think it does. I think it lacks. I think it lacks. Like I've heard the ba- the battle described as scrappy. Yeah. Um, it lacks the sort of like, the sort yeah. of like punch <laughs> of like just like three like three hundred just three hundred oil lights, just like, like well oiled men just, just like, like six packs just, just like in a in a phalanx just, a phalanx, just like. Just yeah. like boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think part of it's also that like it's it's like sea combat and sea combat back then is basically the same as land combat, but like messier. Yeah. It's not as like cinematic kind of right. Yeah. I think they actually the Theater sequel, which I did not see, it's called Three Hundred Rise of an Empire. Actually, was about the Battle of Salamis. Oh. I think they tried to make it very cinematic and everything. They literally had like guys and horses running across the ships, and that's it was cool. just that's cool. It was just bonkers. Yeah. I mean, but, I'm gonna go watch that. Although I hated the end of the movie, but. That's yeah, the thing. I'm. I'm probably not going to see the sequel. But yeah. it sounds wildly inaccurate. It's but, it's, uh, it's, it's a shame because like it's what a, like the the history itself is just so cool. Yeah, uh, like, you don't have to be that. You don't have to like throw in like guys on horses and yeah. shit for it to be cool. I mean, it's just like, a cool shit. story. Yeah, um, yeah. I think and, and I think Salamis is like a lot. So it, it crushed. It sort of ended the Persian. It sort of ended the Persian aspirations of conquering. Yeah. Uh, Greece. Yeah. But I think also it's established. I think the other big thing is it established Athens as like, like they were the naval power of ancient Greece. Yeah, right. And Greece is basically a collection of like a long coastline and a bunch of islands. Yeah. So if you wanted to establish hegemony over Greece, it's with a navy, and that's this. Yeah, you're totally right. It sets up Greek Athenian hegemony over Greece. Well, I think they they got. I think they never got hegemony. Like, I think there's sort of the great conflict between Sparta. In Athens, um, but think like, but yeah, I, I mean, one hundred percent, Athens was the naval power of the naval, like the unquestionable naval power of ancient Greece for 
Probably a hundred yeah, years. Well, so what happens after the Persian League, after the Persian War, is you have something called the Delian League, the Delian, which yeah. all the city-states were in, and Athens sort of like ran the Delian League, right? Well, and they called the shots and were kind of like pulling other countries around. It's kind of like, if you imagine like the UN, and yeah. you have like the US, and the US is kind of like calling a lot of the shots of the UN because it has so much like power, right? It's like that, but like even more yeah. so with Athens. But so Sp- I think, Sp- I think, Sparta had the, Sparta was, Sparta was in its own league. It, they, was in, they were in the Peloponnese. Right, they were, right. So it was basically like, it was basically like Russia. It was basically like the Cold War. The Cold War. It was like yeah. it was like Russia had their block and yeah. Athens had and Athens had their block and right. It was right. kind of like it, and it was a, it's it's a weird it's a weird conflict because like they both are really good at two different, different things. things. Yeah, I, I mean I think like you probably know this better than I do. I think the stalemate in that war. The Peloponnesian War between Athens and Sparta came down to like Sparta was like winning everywhere on land, Athens was winning everywhere at sea, and then it was like that was like a stalemate for like a long time. Right? I think, I think, I think that yeah, I think so. Athens, Athens could re. So, I'll I'll. I'll you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna jump in with some Sparta stuff because I feel like yeah, let's I move, we move over to Sparta. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, we'll, 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 we'll intermix, but like. So the cool thing, Athens, Athens the city, would this, I'm going to throw in some Athens facts for you too. Athens had this giant wall, right. the Athenian wall, right. and it spread all the way from Athens, and then this big line down to the port of, uh, Piraeus, Piraeus, yeah. um, down to the port of Piraeus, and it was this big ass wall, and so what Athens could do, they were the big naval power, they could just have stuff in from Egypt. Right. Get, get goods right. in from Egypt. Right. Um, yeah, Sparta just wrecked, wreaked havoc on land. Um, right. The Spartan hoplite was, like, far and away the best hoplite. Yeah. Like, the Spartan land army was, like, there was it was unquestionably the best land army at the time. Right. Um, but, yeah, like, I mean, what do you get, like, it's it it sort of, like, it's sort, of, it sort of like a funny quote about, like, like, the Spartans fucking hated the Athenian wall. <laughs> it was like a passion project how much they hated the Athenian wall. And, like, they're, like, these quotes. They're, like, these these are some badass quotes from Spartans about, like, they were, like, uh, what was, uh, I'm going to misquote it, but he's, like, one, one, one of the, one of the Spartan kings, he went to visit the Athens, uh-huh. and they, like, the Athens, like, proudly were, like, the Athens were proudly presenting their walls as, like, look at these walls. Right. Look how strong they are. Look how they protect our city. Right. And the Spartan king was, the Spartan king was like, he was like, he's like, those are nice, he's like, those are nice walls. It must be nice to have all your women cower in there. <laughs> and it was like, and you're like, ah. Oh. Nice. Like, they fucking hated the walls. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was, we're gonna, alright, we're gonna, we're gonna speed up, speed up, speed, but yeah, okay. Spartan military, yeah. Um, I mean, they were the they were the they were the land power, and I think they yeah. were just known for like, I mean, this it's a military society, so they train all their life. Yeah, for, and they wore armor. Unlike in three hundred, they don't go into battle with like they had know, full, yeah, they had six like, pack abs as their protection. They had they had full plated armor. That was like that was what they're famous for. They had like really great they, heavy infantry. They had they did, and I think the infantry, they had similar infantry to the Athenians, right? But just better. They're just better, um, and I think like. I mean, they were the dominant land power for most of classical Greece, and I think they're famous. Like, I mean, they're famous. Thermopylae, obviously, yeah, the greatest last stand in human history. Yes, um, and 
ultimately doomed effort. Yeah. But, like, some small amount of Spartans just holding the line. Yeah, it's a cool story. Yeah. And, like, some of the best quotes in history. Yes. Um, like, quotes that, like, people still use in movies today is, like, like when the... When the when uh the Persian when the Persian emissary came to ask for to ask Leonidas to to lay down his weapons, his response was Molalabe, which is having come take them. <laughs> uh, basically, come and get them. It's, it's basically come and get them. Uh, like come and take them. Yeah, and then like badass. and then Dynakes with the Dynakes when they like captured a prisoner, and he was like. He's like, how can you fight the Persians when the Persian when the Persian archers fire? It blots out the sun. And Dynakes is just like, he's like, what fortune that we shall fight in the shade? <laughs> and like, just such that's a fantastic quote. Like such like, like honestly, their quote their quote game was yeah. <laughs> honestly, the real strength of, yeah the real strength of the Spartans with their quote game. Uh, but like, they were super militaristic. And I think the thing about the Spartan military. And is they were all about I'll I'll, I'll this, this is my last my yeah. last thing but like they were all about this like the beautiful death um like in Sparta there was no more shameful thing tend to flee from battle oh. like when a Spartan man when a Spartan man went to war his mother would go to him right and the famous thing they would always say to the kids is with it's like what do they they say. They say with they would they would hand their son their shield mm-hmm. and they would say with it or on it, which was basically mean come like come home victorious or come home dead. Um, because if they were dead, they would be on the shields. Yeah, um, like the mother was like, if you come home, if you come home alive, like a, a famous a famous quote of like this some some son flee from the battle, right? Which is like the great shame, right? And like he came home to his mom and his mom. He sort of points to her. She points to her back, her womb, yeah. and he's like, "He's like, oh, would you like to crawl back into me?" <laughs> um, and oh like, my god! So like, if my mom said that to me, I don't think I could. I don't think I could look her in the eye for the rest of my life. Mom, please, it was scary. But like, yeah. yeah so they, I mean, they were just hardcore, hardcore warriors. Yeah. Like the master of the phalanx. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's they were. You know, they did eventually went out in the, they they did eventually went out over Athens. Yeah. Um, at the Battle of, fuck, I forget. Um, but <laughs> the Battle of fuck, I forget. Yes. But they eventually won out. Like they eventually won out. Uh, and honest, they were never, they they were never conquered, even in their greatly diminished state. I, I said earlier they were greatly diminished. They were never conquered until the time. Of Alexander, mm-hmm. like even Philip, even Philip, when he took over all the rest of, when he took over all the rest of Greece, yeah, like he conquered Athens, everything, yeah. Uh, he, he looked, he he went to Sparta. He said, "If I cross, if I cross into your lands, you will fall." And the yeah. Spartans were like, "If," um, that, was, <laughs> that was their response, was just "If." That's amazing. And then Philip was like, "Fuck that shit." And I just like he left them alone because he was like, he's like, I don't know, man. These guys are fucking. Boring. I don't. I don't want to deal it's with this. It's not worth it. Yeah. I don't know what they're gonna do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, badass. Uh, I wish I had more. I mean, there's there's so much cool shit about their like war. But yeah. we have uh, we have some good drinks. Well, we're already going on at ninety minutes. So yeah, yeah. And, I mean uh, that that was that was great though. I, I think learning about the Spartan military was just phenomenal. Dope. That was that was 
crazy. Those quotes are incredible. Yeah, they were, oh, yeah. So many fucking good. So many. I, like, I hope to have a quote as good as that one. You, you never amazing. will. <laughs> yeah, I never will. None of us yeah, will. No. Um, okay. Well. All right. Uh, this was Troy and Abed in the morning. Uh, wait, no, <laughs> Troy and Abed in the morning. Oh wait. All right. Don't copyright. Wrong, wrong. Wrong. Don't copyright us, please. Sorry. Please Sorry, community. Please. Okay. Um. Yeah. Thanks for. Thanks for listening and. Yeah. Who knows what we'll come up with next? Yeah. Well. Uh. Well. Yeah. You'll find out. Stay tuned for future updates. Okay. Thank you. Bye.